Welcome to the Filmmakers Live. My name is Joanne Butcher, and I am a business coach, and I help filmmakers figure out all of the business side of um, the, the, the film industry, which to most people is a pretty mysterious and opaque kind of uh, endeavor. And so what we do on the Filmmakers Live is we interview filmmakers who have uh, already you know, gone down the road in the industry and made several feature films in this case with Paris Moore. And we uh, see what we can learn about how to get our own film careers moving forward. So I'm very, very excited today to introduce to you um, Paris Moore. And uh, we've known each other now for a while and um, we, we've been meeting on Clubhouse and uh, I'm sure I'm pressing, but oh, I know why I can't do this. Uh, Emily, if you could put both of us in the thing, that would be great. Uh, we've been meet, we've been talking on Clubhouse for a while, and Paris is just fantastic. So I really wanted to introduce you all to him. And um, so Paris, uh, my first question is always the same question. I like to ask, when did you first know that you were a filmmaker? Wow, great, great question. And my answer is probably different than most. I started in the theater as a kid in middle school then high school and i said i'm gonna be an actor <laughs> yeah <laughs> i went to a couple of auditions and i realized wait a minute this is crazy <laughs> to sit in front of a bunch of people at, with hundreds of people raising their hands saying please pick me please pick me i said you know what i think i'd rather make the movie and then put myself in it if i want to i wanted that power i wanted to have the ability to make it instead of relying on someone else to pick me uh, to be in a film. So that was one. Oh my goodness, can I just say, uh, I don't really understand how actors can handle the fact that they don't have that kind of power. Uh, I, I met an actor last night who said, you know, I really don't have an interest in making a film. I, I don't have an interest in developing a character. What I like is to, be introduced to a character that I'm going to play and then do the work of figuring out what that character is. And I was like, that's the best explanation of acting I've ever heard. And, and you know, I get it. I understand it. And, you know, when I'm shooting a film and I, it takes so much time and energy to organize all of these people, you know, the makeup guys, the crew, the clothes, the location, the food, the police sometimes, medical people, all of that, then you have to stroll in, sit down <laughs> and just enjoy. They get to play all day and then they leave. And now we have to clean up, put everything together. I got to feed everybody, make sure everybody gets home safe. You know what I'm saying? And then worry about the next day. I'm like, man, these actors got the greatest jobs. Wow. In but well, you, the word you use was power. The word I tend to use is control, you know? And I like to say, you know, if you're in therapy and you're with your therapist, probably having control is not the goal. But in film, if you're a producer, having control is the goal. Oh, absolutely. Because chaos is the worst thing you can have on your set. 
And it's very important that everyone is on the same page. And what I like to do before I even start shooting is I get everybody together and I have a nice conversation with everybody. I talk to each person in each department and I make sure they have what they need. And I let them know I'm here to help you do a great job. Now, I was in the military for a while and I was a sergeant and I had control over my own uh, mm. you know, team of people. Right. So I've been around that in some very life-threatening situations sometimes. Oh. So yeah, I understand that the crew needs to trust you and believe that you're there for them, not that you're punishing them or controlling them, but that you're there to help them do the best job possible. You know, um, that's uh, so interesting. I could never, now that I have gotten to know you, I could never imagine that you were a sergeant. Oh. You know? You, oh, yes. you, <laughs> you don't have that sergeant energy, but that that I can imagine that that sergeant is is super useful for being a producer. You know, that whole thing of I have a team, the team has to achieve these goals. You know, it's like a sergeant. Roles. Like right now, when you talk to people and help them raise money for their films, you assume a role and you take that role very seriously, mm. you know. When I'm a father and I have not talked to my daughter or my son, I assume a role as a father. When mm -hmm. I'm with my friends, I assume, I'm a friend. But when I'm on that set and I'm in charge, of, I have the fiduciary responsibility for this money that someone invested and put in my hands to make a film. I'm mm -hmm. going to do everything I can to make everybody be responsible to, to this mission mm -hmm. to make this a great film. So it's a different role. Now I'm a producer. And yes, I don't take anything for anybody. Everybody's going to do their job. And if I find that someone can't take directions or instructions, I give them maybe one chance or two, or I throw them off the set. I, I have very little patience. I, we have to get this done and we have to work together. That's great. I think you're the first person I've ever had on this interview who has said that. And, and I, I am 100% behind that. I don't even think that it's, I, I, it's certainly that I'm not, I'm not an impatient person. You know, um, but but I this is how I say it, especially if you have a very small budget, I don't think you can afford to have either incompetent or negative people. That's kind of how I see it. I don't think we can afford it. And so it's not to do I'm it's not that I'm like impatient and like, okay, you're fired. It's more about, okay, we can't afford that we need to get somebody who's really on board. You're right, and it's not like I'm mad at them or angry at them, I just, I'm sorry, but you have to go because you're slowing down production or you're not safe. I mean, if someone's not paying attention, you know how dangerous that is? I mean, some movies I did like The Black Ninja, which right. might've been like a funny, kooky movie. Wait, 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 we didn't see that, we didn't see it. Let's oh. see it better, let's see it better. Over can black ninja. black ninja yes 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 we had candy glass that's that looks like real glass and we uh -huh. had a, a stunt scene where we had to punch somebody who goes through the glass it doesn't matter that it's candy glass it's still dangerous mm -hmm. so if you have somebody sitting there not paying attention not doing what they're doing somebody could get hurt and i, I can't allow that to happen so everybody has to be on the same page yeah um so okay the black ninja I was surprised how hilarious. <laughs> you know, I'm glad. I'm glad. I've, you've talked about it, and uh, you know, I was expecting it to be martial. I knew it was going to be a martial arts movie. Oh my god! I was laughing so hard watching that movie, and so um, 
So you, we went back to you were acting, and then you decided, ah, I don't know about this. I think All I'm right. gonna, you know, have some more power in this process. And it's a story how I got to do that film is yes. because I go to film events whenever I can to network to meet people. And in this one interesting situation, I was literally walking down the street, and I bumped into Clayton Prince, who who was on the Bill Cosby Show. He's a Jamaican guy, and. Oh. Uh, he was saying, I need help making my film. And I tell you, I turn around and look at him, I can do it. Just like that. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know him from a can of paint. I just said, I can do it. I can help your film. I can produce your film. He oh said, Really? God. And he said, Well, what, what do you know how to do? Now, I have to say, at that point in time, I was working for Fox News. I ah. was running the news desk. Ah. Had my degree in film. Uh -huh. I shot like three or four short films. Uh-huh. You know, and some of the films I did did pretty good. The even the short films receive awards. So it wasn't like I, I I was some guy just walking down the street. When I heard him say that, <laughs> I just said, I can help you. And he looked at me and said, Really? And he said, Okay, well let's talk then. And I haven't you know, that. When when you just made that comment, I didn't know from a can of paint. That's not true. Well, I didn't know who he was at uh -huh. the moment. I just heard someone say, I need help making my film. Now, this well, is what I tell everybody in this industry. Being helpful is the most important thing in the yes. world. Yes. If you can do what no one else wants to do, they will hire you all the time. And that's production. Nobody really wants to do all the work that it takes uh -huh. to make a film. It's a lot of work. Uh -huh. So I said, if I can do what nobody else wants to do, I'll be valuable. Yes. Well. I, I, I just mean that there are a lot of people out there who will say, I can do that, and they really don't know anything. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> and and that was not the story with you, for you. You totally yeah. did. And yeah. as I said, you know, one of the things that I see all the time is that filmmakers don't really count their other. So your experience as a sergeant is incredibly valuable for filmmaking. And, and I feel as though a lot of times filmmakers make this kind of line between their other experience and like they, they put filmmaking in some kind of category of like art with a capital A and therefore my experience, you know, running a business, my experience being a manager, my experience, you know, they think that doesn't count and it's just incredibly important. Well, you know, I think what happens is that in your journey as a filmmaker, and and producer because i think sometimes they're interchangeable but kind of a little different sometimes one's more of an artist so he wants to create art whereas a producer is trying to make a product that he wants to sell but mm -hmm. in that journey you know I, I find that some people take the road of film is everything and they sacrifice everything in their life oh to make a film they don't get married or they have bad relationships they don't have children they live in the basement of their their mom's home yeah. or something and it's like no man i want more yeah than just that, you know what I'm saying? I want everything. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to have life. And I want to do film too. I want it all. And it's not easy. Then you have the other part where, like you said, you have life, ex life experience as a sergeant. And you know, I realized as I was moving, getting more and more into film and trying to raise money, I realized the only way I can raise money is if I use all those other skills. And if I can convince people, I'm not just some flighty artist who wants to make something cool I got my MBA. My MBA was in film and media management. I'm like straight up, when I talk about money, I'm gonna talk about money. I could talk about 
you know, tax credits. I could talk about how much we could give to you over time, how much we can make. I could talk about the markets that, that they're doing well right now. There's so many things I could talk about because I want people to realize I care about your money. I'm going to do everything I can to make a return on your investment. And I'm going to do it. You can trust me because I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just, not just trying to make a little piece of art. But when you met the director, when you met Clayton, now I've already forgotten his last name. Clayton Prince. Prince. What a great last name. Um, when, <laughs> when you met Clayton Prince and he said, I need help, you said, I can do that. Yes. Um, back then, you didn't know about how to talk about money in those ways, right? No. But I learned because he is a student. He is a businessman. Ah. He already knew how he was going to sell this film before he even started. Ah. He knew that the urban market was open for uh, an African American and a martial arts movie, which uh -huh. really didn't exist that much. Yeah. And Kelly and so forth. And I'm not going to go all the history of that, but he knew that that would do well in the urban market. So even before he started, he already contacted distributors that were going direct to DVD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we did have a limited theatrical release, but we forewalled it ourselves just so we could have and say it was in theaters. Mm -hmm. But when he was ready to sell that DVD, when it was done, man, we he sold quite a few. I don't want to go how much. I told you personally, you know, but he sold thousands a lot yes a lot the dvd stores worldwide yes how did you know about that that market the way i see it uh and and the black ninja was made in 2003 is that right something yeah around there if i can remember three <laughs> so 20 years ago okay 20 years ago yes 20 years ago um, exactly 2003 was i still running the cinema no we had already closed the cinema anyway i used to run a cinema on Lincoln Road, Miami Beach. Um, and I work with distributors all the time between 1990 and 2000. And the distributors always used to say it was, it was kind of just the way things were. They said there are no black audiences. Oh, come okay. on. Oh, no. I'm so glad you said that. I, I, that, was, that was the standard line. And the thing was, so we had our cinema over here on Miami Beach, and I lived over there in Miami, which is four minutes drive across the causeway, right? And I lived in Miami, and right there, I can see where it was. It's now some fancy hotel, but it was it was a fancy hotel, but then it was the Omni, it was called the Omni. Oh, the Omni Hotel. The Omni Hotel, and they had a, a cinema upstairs with about five or six screens, something like that, six screens maybe. And I would, I would go to that cinema. I would go there with my producer friend, Jamin O'Brien, and we would go see, see movies. But I remember one time I went by myself to see, oh, now I'm gonna, Tales from the Hood. <laughs> when oh yeah, I remember that movie. They had, there were two seats empty left and I took one of them and I was the, only person over about 16 years old in that cinema. And um, I sat there and I mean, I mean, we were screaming with laughter. It was absolutely amazing. And, and pretty much everybody in the theater was black. And, I'm, and I go back to my, my job running a cinema on Miami Beach and the distributors are telling me there's no black audiences. 
you know, he's not the only one who said that. When I was getting my MBA, one of the professors said the same thing. They said, you know, the international market isn't ready for people of color. And I was like, oh, how about James Earl Jones? <laughs> Darth Vader. <sighs> yeah. Everybody loves that character. I the mean, I would I think mean, it was funny if it wasn't a movie. That were in the top 10% that featured people of color. And he kept saying, well, that's different. Well, that one's different. Oh, no. Well, you can't count that one. Oh. And everybody in the class started cracking up and laughing, and he was so upset. <laughs> but it was it was the standard line. I, I I still hear it in various forms today, but today we live in a data-driven world, and it's harder to tell the racist lie, right? Because it was a racist lie back then, and you know it's harder to tell that racist lie today, but it's still used. And I also think it's, it's habit. People are just so used to doing things a certain way that it's hard to change their mind to. Yes. But as I said, it was just funny because I was like, well, I just was over in a theater where pretty much 100% of the people there were black and it was packed. So what are you talking about? And that movie did very well. In the, it was like number, like in the top 10% of DVD rentals that year. It did extremely well. Of course it did. How, how, I mean, there's no way that I could have had that personal experience and for that, what you're saying, not to be true, right? And, uh, you know, so that audience was there then. It had already been there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, before then, when, um, well, you said we're not going to do the history of black cinema, but, um, you know, the, the audience was was there. But now, as I said, we live in a world with data. So you don't have to bring up James Earl Jones. You can just show the data kind of thing. Exactly. And, and still, when, when something's being distributed, they don't always tell you how well your DVD did oh, yeah. or your movie did. So, so there's other numbers you don't get yeah. that, that you want to get so yeah. you can make sure you're getting the money you deserve from these distributors. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, so Clayton Prince really knew that he knew who his audience was. He knew it was there. I would also say that that audience was very underserved because, because again, if if every distributor I was talking about at my little art cinema is being, you know, I'm being told there there's no black audiences, then you know the the product isn't there either. You know, it's still underserved. Even yes. though, because you're making interesting movies with people of color in them, that's fine. But it's still a movie that's sort of like for everybody. But what mm -hmm. movie are they really saying, you know, is for that, that urban market, the way yeah. that people want to see, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, th there's still a lot of space to make movies for the urban market that, that would, would resonate, you know, with that market. You know, um, the other day you mentioned something that blew my mind because I, I had not heard this before, but you said that you worked with Troma to make Black Ninja or with their production company or something. Yeah, like their, their crew. They're, I had the entire crew of Troma producing the Black Ninja, which was really, really cool. Can, and can I, you tell people what, who tro what Troma is and what that's all about? We used to show the annu an annual Troma film. At that <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman is the mastermind behind Troma. And Troma made the kookiest, craziest films you ever did see. And you knew they had so much fun making these crazy moves like the Toxic Avenger 
one, oh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, I don't know how many of those. Yes. And they're just kooky, they're crazy, but it's all in fun. You know what I'm saying? There's a and little very, bit of- There was an aesthetic. There was an, there's yes. a trauma aesthetic that, that people love. And it's very much about a low, I, I don't know what the word, right, word is for it. What would you call the trauma aesthetic? Uh, it, it's like old school European comedy, you know, like Monty Python-ish almost, uh, yes. something of, that's, that's just so kooky, vaudeville. It's like vaudeville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also about cheap. You know, it's, it's, it's um, a certain aesthetic that right. is about, when you obviously we're know. Putting, we're we're, we're going to tape this together with, with scotch tape and cardboard, and that's part of the fun of it. Exactly. Because you know, you're, you're, these are people doing everything they can to make this work with spit, tape, you, you name it. People that you that your family or friends, you know, all these people are just people in your neighborhood. They're not like A-list stars or anything, you know. And sometimes they're porn stars or wrestlers or anybody who are coming in and work with you. So you know it's like a labor of love. It's truly a labor of love. Yes. And um, so there's the the Lloyd Kaufman built a whole audience behind. Um, all of these films that that really are very kind of I don't know if the it's sort of anti Hollywood yes <laughs> kind of like anti anti being polished and glamorous whatever whatever the opposite of that is like Planet Nine from Outer Space is is continuing that yes. entire philosophy yes. of making your vision come true by hook or crook. And, and not letting the corporate world control you, lack of money control you. You're doing your thing. Like yeah. French, oh, you know what I'm saying? They were shooting anywhere and everywhere. They didn't care. I mean, people were walking in their films yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of their movie, turn and look into the camera and walk away. <laughs> but they had I, to shoot what they could. I got to make a couple of films with a with a filmmaker from the sex exploitation era in the 50s, 60s and 70s called Doris, Doris Wishman. And uh, she is in history of cinema books as being the second worst filmmaker of all time uh, compared to Ed, uh, Ed uh, I'm not remembering his last name. Um, but again, you know, I mean, she had such a unique voice. She's taught at she, they teach her films at Harvard and places like that, right? And, you know, she made her films for nothing. And the, the acting is terrible. And But again, it's like a certain aesthetic that really works and, and has made people diehard fans of Doris Wishman's. Because people want to see realities. People want to see just people being people. It's non-Hollywood. Totally right. destructive right. as... as Someone said an aside. And why not? Why not see something that's not polished in Hollywood? Right. Something right. different. Another slice of life. That's why I love how independent film. How did you team up with how did you find Lloyd? How did you get Oh into I went to of course I went to Sundance. And while I was at Sundance, I now we're talking about my next film, which is Kenya Wanda. That is a movie. Okay. Uh, uh, Yes, again, very, very fortunate. Um, I was at a high school reunion 
and a good friend of mine from high school, we lived in the same neighborhood, only one block away from us as kids. I had no idea he was interested in film. Uh, I went to Central High School in Philadelphia, one of the oldest high schools in the country. And uh, we were at uh, a reunion and he said, Paris, you know, I'm interested in film. You know, I did a little acting. I said, well, so am I. He said, are you really serious about making films? I said, I'm very serious about making films. He said, I tell you what, I, I challenge you. Meet me on this day in the middle of a field at a, at a table, like you have a picnic table and let's talk. I sat there at the table, we met. And he's like, you know what, 10%, most people don't come after I said, I challenge you, they don't even come. And I said, look, you find a way to raise the money. I will win us Sundance, then that will help us get other deals. And we'll be able to do amazing things. I know how to make films. I know how to win Sundance. If you can raise the money, I will get a Sundance. And he was like, really? I said, yes. And he said, all right, you're on. I challenge you. So I made a phone call to another friend of mine who was working on a film, who, who I was trying to help, but I had kids at the time, so I couldn't do, do the production aspect of it, but I told him I could raise money. <laughs> Those are the magic words. Those so I had words. one guy who's sitting there going, oh yeah, right, you can raise money. I said, yeah, because I love your film. It was Kenya Wanda who's gonna go to Rwanda and shoot a film there, and I, and I couldn't go physically, because I had two children, I had twins, babies. There's no way in the world I was gonna leave my wife alone with those two kids. So I said, let me take an executive production role. I will raise the money for you. I'll get you some contacts. Then I talked to my friend. Now he's an entrepreneur. He had a company in Asia, young African-American brother making millions. Like, a, I don't want to talk about all his money, but he's doing well. well. Let's just say that he's doing well. And he trusted me. So I brought them together and he was able to raise with his friends and, and myself and other friends about half a million for his film. And his film was accepted in the Sundance. And he won Best Audience Award. Okay, now Paris, you, we got completely out of order here. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so back to Lloyd Kaufman. I was at Sundance and- But that was a Sundance, great story. Getting you into have, Sundance. You have um, Slam Dance. Slam Dance? Slam Dance. I was a consultant for Slam Dance. On oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love slam dance. So Love you know he goes to slam dance every now and then because it's almost like a, the house for trauma, you know. Mm. So I went there and I met him. He said, "Paris, how are you doing?" So I'm doing good, man, you know. And he was so proud of me. He was like, "Paris, I am so proud of you. You're like a legacy of trauma." He says, "We make funny, crazy, slacky movies, but you made a real movie, and I'm so proud of you, man. You're part of our legacy." And I was like, "Oh, Mac, what more can you say?" It's funny because before I watched The Black Ninja, I knew that you, you worked with the Troma Production Company. I knew that part. Um, so I was expecting a certain aesthetic. That's not Black Ninja. The Black Ninja is a very polished aesthetic, but I wasn't expecting how funny it was. <laughs> oh well, that was the purpose to make a, a funny Kung Fu movie, which in the Americas was a little weird. Now in Asia, they got tons of comedy Kung that's fu. right that's right like kung fu hustle and so many things that are just yeah. so hilarious so jackie chan i mean well, yeah. made yeah. his life doing comedy kung fu comedy kung fu right and we wanted to make it family friendly that was very important for us for the ratings mm. the guy was a genius i give it clayton prince was like clicking all the check boxes wow. family friendly for kids action adventure urban movie he mm. 
put all this together. The all of that. very smart. I, yeah. I give it to Clayton. Clayton what knows. happened to Clayton? What's been his trajectory? Well, you know, he was doing commercials. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, he was in uh, soap operas. Mm -hmm. He had a television series that he was uh, one of the stars on called Dark Justice. Ah. Which lasted for like two years, almost two and a half years. Uh -huh. So he had a, a great career. And then he got married, he had children. So, you know, when you have a family, and I totally agree with it, sometimes you got to slow down. You've, he's been there, he's done that, you know? So, you know, make another movie or do anything else is like work. He's, you know, he's taking care of his children. Yeah. And now he has his other businesses. He's got two or three businesses. He has a, a bus in Philadelphia that does a tour of Philadelphia and he does the music of, of Philly during that oh. time. And he's doing pretty well with that. And oh. once he did it, now everybody else copied him. That was like four or five bus tours. <laughs> Harris, why are people copying all the time? I said, dude, come on, man. You're, you're an entrepreneur. You went out there, you did something new. Of course, people are going to copy. Yeah. So, big yeah. ups yeah. to Clayton Prince. And yes. big ups to my buddy, Andre Eves, who believed in me enough to put up the resources and find the resources so right. I could, us together with other, other our skills and abilities, we brought people from there to Rhonda back here in the States. We did a tour of, of different theaters. The movie was distributed by um, Eva DuVernay. Really? Yeah. What was she doing back then? Because this is yeah, like- She had her own distribution company. Oh, you know, I didn't know that was part of her background. Oh, yeah. She, oh, she, she's very diverse. Very, another business astute person, you know yes. what I'm saying? Very yes. business astute. Yes. Affirm. She had a, her own uh, distribution company called Affirm, which made sure that films of people of color got theatrical release. Ah, fantastic. Fantastic. Wow, I didn't know that part of the story. See, this is why I was looking forward to this interview because I get to learn all the little, all the fabulous bits. You know, so it's amazing that like when the stars align and all the pieces come together, you know, just right, you know, good things can happen. That's why it's so good to work with so many people to allow interesting things to happen. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that I think also, we've been talking about this a lot on Clubhouse, is that now, so uh, this month, no, last month, was the 10-year anniversary of uh, Pluto TV, which was the first AVOD platform I became aware of. Um, it just so happened I had a, a client who worked for Pluto. Anyway, I, I started studying Pluto TV 10 years ago. Nice. And August, August uh, this year was their 10-year anniversary. And so what's been happening, we've been talking about this with you, we've been talking about this with Gary Sales, with his 30-year film, Mad Men, that all of a sudden you have this film that, that already went through its various windows and made its various money. And now all of a sudden the AVOD platforms have come in and now the film has suddenly got a whole new lease on life. Is that, am I saying this correctly? Uh that's okay. Say it one more time again. Make sure. Well, I'm well so that the the so the film came out. It was in theaters because of Ava DuVernay apparently. Uh, then it was on DVDs. Then it was on whatever back then. Twenty years ago was streaming, I guess. But what I was saying is that ten years ago, Avod began, and so Avod was not um, an income generating stream twenty years ago. It didn't exist. Right. No, so no. now 
but your film is now making money on AVOD platforms. Is that correct? Oh, yes, it is. It's on um, Amazon Prime and is generating income of definite Amazon Prime. Um, it's not on many others. It's an oh, international no. film and is partially owned by an international company. Right. Wanda. So the one thing you start learning is that when you start talking rights and Wait, are we talking about Black Ninja or? Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about King Wanda. I'll talk about okay. Black Ninja. I'm trying oh, yeah. to keep uh, us on track, Paris. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Black Ninja. All right. So, um, so, so funny. Black Ninja actually made more money than people expected it to, you know what I'm saying? So. Uh, I think it's in millions, right? Yeah, yeah. So. You know, it's it's so interesting that so many people, you know, wanted a piece of it. So we were in litigation with. Uh, I put it this way: you know, you're successful when you're getting sued. I mean, right. you right. know, people want more money and they're trying to get money out of you, and they don't understand that the distributors take a large chunk of that money. <laughs> Come on, to, you know, and they're not telling us records. So we only knew how much it made because people tried to sue us for more money. Then we found out how much it really made. And we were like, what? It made this much money. And the and the distributors were basically hiding that information in their records and books. So it wasn't us they should come after. We said, no, go after distributors, guys. <laughs> Not <laughs> us. We don't have a big bag of money on the side. How they were twisting our little mustache. You know? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can see this, Paris, but uh, Lloyd just joined us. So what? <laughs> We're going to be able to get to bring him in the conversation as well. Yeah, that's Thank wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. That's fabulous. We just, I just, just woke up. We, we, just, <laughs> we just missed our whole conversation about you. So we, I hope your ears were burning. This <laughs> we'll, is amazing. We'll come back. We'll come back. But thank you All so right. much for coming. Um, we've, I've been a fan for years, I was just saying. But... Uh, so now I'm completely thrown off. Um, so yeah, no, but the point that I was trying to make was that films that came out 20 years ago are having a completely new revenue stream. Oh, indeed. I understand what you're saying now. That is so very true. And what people are doing now is trying to find out how they could revamp their old work and make new money on old movies. Because yes. I believe old movies should never die. But the old way was they wanted them to die so they could come up with new movies oh. and get the new one and keep making more and more money. But everything oh. has changed now. So the rights of older movies may have gotten the hands of other people, the, maybe the, the independent producers. So, of course, the industry isn't, a, you know, cares so much about the money because now the rights of a lot of things have gone back to the hands of the writers and producers and everybody else but the main people. So, of course, they're not going to focus on it. But it's great for those guys because now we can put Black Ninja, even maybe even Kenyawanda in these things and generate money for ourselves since the time has passed when now we can make more money on it than we could before. So that's very, very true. Fantastic. Um, I, just, I just love the idea that you're making money from a movie that you made 20 years ago. I think it's great. <laughs> so um, after Black Ninja and I, I was saying that um, the production values were just incredible. It was having having just said that you know we we were not really interested in the way Hollywood made movies. I have to say you made a very very polished movie. 
there. Um, so, uh, but you didn't have any name well known. Oh no, you had Clayton Prince though. You had Clayton well, Prince. Well, Black, yeah, well, Black Ninja, Clayton Prince did have his own following because he was on the Bill Cosby show. He was the making guy going, you know, that one scene when he was like, ayo, ayo, ayo. And then everybody started singing with him. That was totally improvised, by the way. Oh. <laughs> he was just sitting there, there was a law, and he was like, hmm, 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 amen, Then everybody just joined in and that, that one episode was one of the most favorite and rewatched episodes of the Bill Cosby show. Oh, so he did have a name. He did have a following. He, he, he loved martial arts. So that helped. Yeah. But I think what really mattered more than him was his understanding of the market yes. and understanding what the urban market wanted. Yes. And, and, and the distributors came back to us and begging us to make like black ninja two, black ninja three, black ninja four. And, uh, we were like, well, we don't want to do it with you because you didn't give us the money we deserve. So right. if we're going to do it, we're going to do it a different way so we can get the more money than you know than we did last time. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do that for them because they wanted us to to take the lion's share. Yes, yes. So did you make Black Ninja too? No, we're thinking about it. Yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea. Oh, we're we're definitely thinking about it, and we'll see. All I have to say is. We'll awesome. <laughs> so um, did you go straight from the Black Ninja into, I can never say the name of the Rwanda movie. Kenya Wanda. Kenya Wanda. Kenya Wanda. Yes. Well, next. Career wise, I've done so many different things in between those two. Okay. I work for, again, I work for Fox News. Okay. Um, what I want to say is anybody who wants to get into this business or industry, the one thing I tell kids when I talk to schools or universities or high schools, try to find a thing that you love to do. There's so many jobs and so many careers and so many things you could do, but they only highlight two or three jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know, and everybody can't become the director. Everybody's not going to become the producer. You know what I'm saying? There's just so many jobs. So if, if I you say nobody wants to be the producer. Really, I mean, <laughs> you may think the title's nice and you may think you want to be a producer, but the minute you see all the work and the responsibility and all the blame you get when nothing works right, <laughs> you don't want everybody wants to yell at, you don't want everybody comes to for a problem. It's crazy stuff like, oh man, I can't find my socks, you know. <laughs> Somebody find this man some socks, please. You know, just whatever, just insanity. You know? I think one of the things I see a lot is that um, in the industry, the title producer, uh, let's say you work for Netflix and you have a title of producer, which is great. But to me, that person working for Netflix is getting a paycheck at the end of every Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I that's a very good point because you could be a producer for hire. You could be a producer okay. for a television station. You could be a producer for a network. And your job is you're hired to produce other people's work. And there's nothing wrong with that. But right. I can tell you, I got into this business because I want to make my own movies. Yes. So even though I was producing, I felt the same way in news. I kept saying, I'm producing other people's stories. Yeah. When I was doing talk shows, I produced over 100 talk shows. I, I'm talking about everybody else's life. I was dying inside. I'm like, I want to be the guy being interviewed. I want to do the thing that's worthy of, of having a conversation about. So I, I know, I, 
that's my desire. But for some other people, they may love producing a talk show or news segments or anything. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely. I met an executive who works at HBO and she said, uh, she said, I'm an inside cat. She said, what I mean by that is I like to live inside. I like to get my paycheck at the end of the week. She said, I frankly don't understand the outside cats. You know, and I was like, that is really good. But That's a very good way of saying it because that check every week feels good when you got bills coming. As an independent filmmaker, I was so fortunate that the few people that I knew were so successful. They had money in the bank so they could chill. Yeah. I had bills to pay. I had two kids. I had a wife. I had a house. I'm like, no, nah, man. I had to have a job. I had to do both because I had bills. So I was both an inside cat and an outside cat, which... Uh... Well, that that's also that's a useful combination, I think, to you know move along in your career. So, um, making Kenya wonder, I cannot imagine sitting down and making a decision. I'm going to make a movie in Rwanda. Well, what, you know what, what brought you to make that decision? Well, okay, traveling. When you travel around the world, you meet interesting people and you hear interesting stories. And the director, which in this case, traveled around the world and he met interesting people and had and heard about the story and wanted to tell the true story about uh, what happened in Kenyawanda. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to look now, make sure I say my friend's name correctly, who was the director here. Why isn't it so easy? Paris <laughs> I can never remember names. You know, I'm, I'm terrible with names. It should be... Any, okay, anyway, the director met someone in you know, Rwanda as he was traveling, and he heard about all the travesties that happened. There was Hotel Rwanda, oh, and he saw that movie, but that focused on the international aspect yes. of what happened there. Yes. And it really focused on one person, the hotel, and he was talking to uh, this gentleman by the name of Nitembus, and he was telling his story. And he was like, well, why don't we hear their stories? Why don't we hear what really happened to the people that are there? And why not? You know, why? So no one really did that. So he decided to do sort of like a crash type of movie where all the different stories of people that, that uh, went through this experience and put it together. And he also wanted to show the positive aspect of this, like even in the midst of a horrendous event, there were so many beautiful things that happened there during the whole thing. So everybody knows how horrible it is. Everybody could talk about, oh, this was terrible. Oh, that was terrible. You know, but what about all the people who did all the good things? What about the people who sacrificed? What about uh, the, the Catholic priest who allowed the Muslims to come in their church and split the church in half so they could have services on both sides? Or how about all the Muslims who are like, we're not going to take part in this. Anyone who wants to like walk away from this, we will protect you. You know, so people don't know about the Muslims and what they did. So, you know, there was sort of a mission to to tell the truth about, you know, what happened here, and um, that's why we did the movie. We wanted to tell that story, and when I heard that that was a story they wanted to talk about, I agree with it. I wanted to tell real stories about things that happen around the world that you don't hear about. And I love the fact that this movie and the end, they talked about forgiveness and hope and 
I, I was moved by that. I wanted to do that. I wanted to tell the story that even though terrible things can happen, you could you could overcome it with forgiveness and hope. No, the story the story is is incredible, absolutely incredible, and um, you know, I when I watched it a couple of months ago, um, it felt to me as though that story gave me hope because the you know the divisions that are happening in America today um you know haven't gotten to the point that they got to in Rwanda with neighbor killing neighbor and or, or, or so on um and so it gave me hope that you know we too can rise out of this um time of hatred and division and uh so yeah I found that it gave me hope to see that people in 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 those and I suppose you know in any kind of disaster any tragedy um, you know, there are certain people who race to the bottom, but but many people who rise to the top. And that's that's what that showed. And and, and the thing of people forgiving yes. your neighbor who killed your family yes. and to forgive him because they realized that there was an outside force to actually cause all this to happen. You know, Europeans came in there, Americans came in there, separated them, created a class system that had nothing to do with anything. And the reason why they're at odds with each other because uh, another an alien force came in and caused this to happen. Now the director Alec Brown, I knew Alec. I knew Alec for a while. We were, we were working together at a community access television station that I actually managed for like a couple of years, and I knew he was uh, you know attempting to make this movie happen, and you know he was talking about it. And I said, look, I'll help you however I can. And he he's a, a professor at NYU. And what I liked about Albert Brown is that he wanted to do it professionally. He didn't want to skimp on anything. He wanted to make it beautiful. He wanted the sound to be beautiful. He wanted the soundtrack to be beautiful. And I believed him. So when I said, okay, you know, I believe in you. So when I brought my resources in there to help make this movie complete, we were able to take it to California. We took it to sound stages to do the soundtrack. We have our own music created for it. Um, we had the chance to redo some of the, the voiceover work and major Hollywood sound stages. I mean, we, we had some of the best uh, equipment and locations to do this movie. And uh, it, sometimes it takes a little bit of resources to do that. So I was really glad I was able to help make all those things happen. Wow. And what was the, uh, how was the process of getting the film into Sundance? Again, it, it, it's all about connecting with the right people, being in the right places, and being open to talk to people. Robert Redford heard about ah. a group of filmmakers wanting to go out to Kenyawanda and shoot a movie, a true story of what happened. He heard about it. Wow. And he says, guys, I want to see this. I want, I want to see this, and maybe you guys want to take it to Sundance. And we said, OK, so we had to show the footage. You know the first first footage you get and the first edit you get is not going to be great. You know, you're just like, this is not what we. But he said, send it to me anyway. He yeah. saw some of the footage. He saw some of the stuff. He said, my God, this is amazing. You have to have this here at Sundance. Yes. So he said, get it together, get it ready, and that's when we had to bust our butts to to, wow. to get it done under wow. the wire. 
That's a great story too, because, you know, I think so highly of Robert Redford and it's because that's exactly who he is, right? And he's a great guy. We got a chance to meet him and talk to him. And he was, you know what, what's so cool about him? He was more happy about the film being in Sundance than we were. He was like, because <laughs> he's like, this is what Sundance is about. Right. This is what I want. I want independence to come here making great movies that tell a, a story that needs to be told. Yes. He says, Hollywood is coming here. You see all the yeah. celebrities. And I don't mind that that's great, but this is what Sundance is about. Right. And so I, I always like to open it up to questions in the last couple of minutes. Anybody sure. asked me before, please come on video, raise your hand or raise your virtual hand. But um, if uh, before anybody raises their hand or if, please, please butt in. But my, my last question then is, what what is next what are you working on now okay so because we did we won sundance and I, that was strategic for me so now i can ask for more money so now now we we have some investors who are considering funding our next full feature film i can't go into all details because of ndas and so forth and so on but it's historical it's a historical movie about african-american soldiers I'll, I'll put that much and it's a major motion picture and we're talking like major motion money in the millions you know tens of millions so that's one thing we're doing another thing we're doing is we're writing our own stories i'm writing a a, a script right now called blood wars and uh it's about two brothers who you know were fighting against each other a thousand years ago until the day it's a vampire story oh. so it starts in japan and it ends in Philadelphia. Very elegant. Mark, you know. please, please come and ask your question. Thank you. Uh, Paris, uh, what a great interview and a wonderful story. Uh, it's really admirable to see your uh, values and your sense of humor and your dedication and joy in what you do. Uh, and you had said that uh, you, you had an opportunity where where they, they said to you, where you said to them, hey, I can raise the money. I can help do this. How, how did that work out? How, how did you pull that off? I mean, what was the, what shift did you have to make from uh, being an actor then being a film producer? Well, I, again, I wanted to have the control and the power and it felt really weird putting my hands in other people's, you know, power to pick me to be an actor. So I said, let me produce a movie. Now, I talked about this on Clubhouse before. Since I realized money was important, I made friends with entrepreneurs. And Andre, who I knew, was an entrepreneur. He had a business in Asia. He was doing very well for himself. And so, and I'm, I know other entrepreneurs. And I find that there's a lot of entrepreneurs who want to be an artist, who want to create want to be an actor but they said you know i've got to i'm going to build an empire and make sure everything's set before i do this so they sacrifice a lot of their lives to raising the finances they need and then i did just the opposite <laughs> I, I developed the art and the craft of art and i was broke all the time <laughs> so i was broke and they had money they wanted to make a film they didn't know how to i knew how to make a film so it was a match made in heaven <laughs> so that's how I did it. I said, let me let me uh, deal with people who knew how to make money. Since I didn't know how to raise money, I said, let me find friends who did. That's why I went to business school. 
I went to business school to meet other people who are who are great with financing and who could raise money. I don't know how to raise money like that. I'm not even gonna lie. You, you know, you do, Joanne. You know how to help people raise money. That's why I come to your clubhouse, and that's why I appreciate what you're doing. Because even to this day, I am not the fundraiser. I know people who can raise money. So my secret is I know people who know how to raise money. But if it was up to me, I'd have to come to join. <laughs> Were your entrepreneurs in Hollywood or Silicon Valley or where? No, no. They 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 were just doing most of them are African Americans. So mm -hmm. so they my friend Andre went to Asia and he started a he started off translating and teaching people how to speak other languages, English. You know, English is a second language. Then he went from there to translating contracts in three or four different languages, German, uh, Chinese, uh, Italian, and so forth. Then he put together a lot of people, started a company, and then next thing you know, he was doing very, very well. And uh, he came back, he, we went to high school together and we were at a reunion and he asked me if, if you know, I could make a movie and I said, yes, I can. And I told him that if he follows my plan, we could win Sundance and we did. But yes, my friends are just entrepreneurs who are making money all kinds of ways. It, it isn't just California, it's not one thing or another. Uh, one thing they deal with though is resources like gold and minerals. And because he was international, he was able to put people together from Asia and America to do all kinds of deals. So if he was online now, he could really explain to you how he does it, you know, but that's his forte. He knows international business. He can speak uh, Chinese. So good for him. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. So inspiring. Thanks, Mark. Um, does anybody else have a question? I thought Karen was going to ask a question. Good to see you, Karen. Um, yeah, so so the movies that you're that you're uh, making next, we'll have to you know set up another time and and talk about that and talk about um, putting the money together for those. And you're right, you got to have more than one plan. If that comes through with with the the bigger money, then that that direction takes my me and my business, my business partners, a whole different direction because there's a lot of fiduciary uh, responsibility we'll have. Yes. Now. In the other direction, there's other movies I want to make, and I also want to help other independent film filmmakers make movies. And I have a nonprofit called the uh, New England Film Video Association. I have like a thousand members, and I really support independent filmmakers. So I'm interested in helping independent filmmakers produce films and make a living doing so. So I have a couple of plans in motion than just you know the feature films. Yes. So New England Film Video. So what? What states come in New England? I'm geographic. Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, you know, all that, the whole area. You know. I have to introduce you. I have a client who uh, made a fantastic first uh, documentary called Bastards Road about um, a, a, a vet, veteran with terrible uh, consequences of PTSD who uh, went on a road trip and he walked across America and wow. he, he walked the whole country and stopped on the way at various people that he had been in combat with. Some were alive, some wow. were dead. That, that's an interesting story. Oh my God, fantastic documentary. 
that was his first feature. And now he's making um, a very, uh, something about um, the Chesapeake Bay and about the way that it's been overfished. And it's a whole thing. I've learned all kinds of stuff about um, uh, blue crab and blue catfish. <laughs> and, and there's another movie, I made a couple movies with a young lady by the name of Jillian Bullock. She did a movie on PTSD mm. and she was able to raise the money to make this movie. And I say to people, if you focus on a subject like PTSD, there, there's money for making movies of that nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, Brian's film, Bastard's Road, is such an amazing film. And he, you know, he did some work with it and took it to various places, but then he he got distribution with a, with a really, really bad uh, company. And basically there's nothing more he can do with the film, but it's a life-changing movie. It's a oh. life-changing movie. What's the name of it again? Bastard's Road. Bastard's Road. All yes. right, I have to check that out. Yeah, it's um, it's really incredible because the the main character in the film, um, he's you know he comes back from the war, he's he's doing okay, he's doing okay, things are going fine, and then one day his life just goes, just completely blows up, and it's out of nowhere. He doesn't know what happened to him. He just and and the fact that he's alive is already a miracle and then he decided to do this walk and you're and, saying something happened with the distributor i mean yeah. those distributors there's so many of these little distributors that you have to be careful of big one but i told him you know if he had been working with me back then i would never have allowed him to sign a distribution contract with this company um because the 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 you know they they basically they're, they're a big company they send out a template contract and so the first thing I say to my clients is, uh, you say you'd like to change something. So their, their standard template contract says 10 years. They license the film for 10 years. So the first thing I would say is, let's, uh, let's say you want it for two, <laughs> right? Let's say you want it for two. And then the company would write back and say, we don't change our contracts. And I think then a filmmaker would click. This is not somebody I want to do business with. Exactly. That's something when someone says they don't change country because there's always negotiation. But nope, they don't. No, no, they don't negotiate. So um, I don't think I don't. You know, I but 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 filmmakers when they're early in their careers or whatever, and they don't have anyone advising them, they think, oh, I got distribution with a big company. That's a good idea. Well, I think in general, most people don't understand the film industry at all. Right. I mean, just period. When I first when I when I won. Uh, Sundance, and I finally put my shingle out, so to say, as a producer, I was meeting with so many people, whether they were sports stars, actors, uh, people with money, or, or whatever, and they all came to me and said, I have an idea. I'm like, wait a minute, do you have a script? What, what are we talking about? It's, it's just it's like they thought that if I had this idea, I would write the script, I would yeah. raise the money, I would produce the film, and all they had to do was sit there and watch the whole thing happen. And maybe yeah. take a role. Yeah. And it happens so often with people you think would know better. Yeah. So there's there's a general not understanding of how how this works. And even if you hire me as a producer, doesn't mean I'm gonna raise your money. It means that I will help you find resources along with your money to help you create a fantastic film. Doesn't mean I'm gonna raise your money. 
but everybody, I mean, I'm, what, I'm, what I mean by major actors, a lot of people came to me and said, hey, this is a $30 million movie, and even if they did have a script, it did not mean that I was going to raise $30 million for you. And I, it, it, I was getting that for years and years of very interesting, high-profile people who, and I had no idea that's what I did. When I put my shingle on, I was a producer. I was telling people, I could raise money for you. And I wish I had understood that before I put it up there. Because <laughs> no, I no. did not know that that's what people thought I was saying. It's funny also because people think, I, 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 you know, the film industry is a very hard business. It's a very hard business. And very, you know, and there's a, a small number of people who make it. When they make it, they make it big. And that's, that's fantastic. Um, and we're all working towards that. But I think that when when somebody says, you know, I have an idea, they just don't realize the mountain that has to be climbed to actually make a feature film. Karen's saying yes. Karen's going from museum to museum showing her movie right now about Greenwood in, uh, in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and about the community and what it's like living there and having a business 101 years after the massacre. And she's traveling around the country and showing her movie, but it was a lot of work, right, Karen? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I had to come off mute for that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question, though. I oh, didn't good. know how to raise my hand. Oh, you know, just like- You just uh, go like that. You just oh, go like okay. <laughs> so just like Joanne was saying, you know, as far as the documentary I'm doing, I'm all about just trying to keep this history going. And so that's why I'm kind of going through the African-American Museum telling about the rebuild of Tulsa. And so most of these museums don't have the money to pay for my film. So, but I do want to go and I want to be present and then meet the people in the community. How could I pitch something like that as far as get funding to keep this history alive going through our communities? You know, I like, I like what you're saying there. I would say if you have like 10 museums who will back you and say, you know, we really need this done. Instead of getting a lot of money from one museum, you might just get a little bit from 10 or a little bit from 20 or a little bit from 30 museums. And all together, that can help you make your, your documentary. But when you go for grants and you go for money from other people saying that you have 10 museums who are backing you and who want to show your film, I think that gives you weight. And the people in those museums, if you get the professionals, people with PhDs, for some reason, PhD matters. But if you have a consultant on your on your set that says, I know this history and I have a consultant who understands this, that matters a lot and it helps you get money when you have the right consultant who people look at and go, oh, wow, they know what they're doing. Let's give these people money because they have the right people on our staff. Paris is absolutely correct. And the best way to raise that particular type of money, Karen, is foundations. And it would be foundations that support. Your film is very much about entrepreneurship. So foundations that support entrepreneurship, um, African-Americans history, those kind of things. Um, and what Paris said, you know, 10 museums, uh, I always say the simplest um, impact project is, you know, one museum a month 
for 10 months, 12 months, and then apply to a foundation to say, provide you two or $3,000 per, per event. And that would be a 24 to $36,000 proposal to a foundation. Um, and that's exactly what you're doing, but that's the money you need. And that would cover your airfare and your hotel and all of that. Um, and, and that would, that would be the, the best way the grants or foundations. And I'd like to add that if you have, don't, the film don't, is done, by the way, Paris, the film is complete. The film oh, is the film is complete. Oh, great. Then you could do a tour. You could tour the whole country going from museum to museum to museum and live a cool life and go international too. I mean, there might be places in London or Europe or South America or Asia. Don't just get stuck here. There are a lot of places that are really interested in American history. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you could travel all over the world showing this. And high schools, see people don't know, there's money in high schools. I used to do a tour in high schools. I did uh, African American history in movies. And then we had people acting it out and we had a soundtrack of all these different people in, in films. Man, we made really good money going to high school all throughout Pennsylvania because they have a budget and they have an event and all the kids go in the auditorium and we did our show and we were making like, like I'm just gonna say we did pretty good. <laughs> and, and that's what I am trying to do. But you know, with the uh, critical race theory, they're trying to keep this history out of school. So I'm trying to come up with a curriculum that can go along with the movie. And that may be just kids looking at how to rebuild Black Wall Street, how to rebuild this community that was destroyed, how to rebuild businesses. You can so raise I'm trying money to for curriculum development, Karen. That's it. That's yeah, that's I mean. a whole different world. And I would still say, whatever schools you're talking about, there's schools in Black neighborhoods, Hispanic neighborhoods that would want to see it. So if, if there's a market that is interested, there's definitely a market that really wants to see it. Yeah, I found out that there is like 400 Black-owned schools. So that's kind of going to be my market uh, to approach those schools. So I'm working on the curriculum so I can pitch it. And we're just going to try to do it like a competition like they create teams and come and compete with each other as far as pitching how to rebuild this community, how to rebuild. So it's going to and kind of award them who's the best pitch or something and make it be something like an annual thing or something. But that's the way we can keep the history going back to the community with the kids because they would have to study it in order to rebuild it. And I might say there might be distributors or there might be a system that that connects entertainment or educational services to high schools. So if there's something like that, you might want to connect with that. There might be, uh, I don't know what it would call like a booking agency that deals with high schools. Yeah, I just got approved for DocuSeek and DocuSeek is an educational platform where colleges and high schools and libraries can have access to the movie. But that's why I'm trying to create that curriculum in a kind of a bundle. That, Aaron, be careful about that. Because if you allow the movie to be available for a small amount of money, then you're gonna have even less opportunity to charge more money for when you go to those museums or schools or, or whatever. So you might want to hold off on putting it onto an online platform because right now you would you would be sort of reducing the price that you can charge for your film. If we charge anywhere from ten thousand dollars 
to $5,000 per showing out of school. And we always started high, then worked down. And I was always surprised that other people did the same thing. They were charging a lot of money and their stuff wasn't even good as ours. But I always right. said, if you have, if you believe you have a high value for something, then they'll believe it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Karen's very good at sales. So. All right, well, thank you so much. Paris, this has been such a pleasure. And um, I want to say I, hi, Lloyd. <laughs> I, yeah, he, he left a while ago and I should have just brought him on when he first came. I thought uh, I was like, do I want to just jump him on? And I anyway, he had to leave. He had to go to the doctors. But, oh, there he is. Oh, he's back. Yes. No, really? You may not remember, but I met you at Sundance some time ago at Slamdance when I had my film there, we had a great conversation. I really appreciate what you said back then. Who, who really is inspired this? me. Who is this? Lloyd. Is that Lloyd? No, Lloyd Lloyd left a while ago. He oh, he to, left, okay. He had to go to the doctor. Mark. He had to go to the doctor, so. Okay, there you are, Mark. Yeah, 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 he had to leave. Um, but uh, yeah, how phenomenal that he came up. But as, that's what I was saying. I wish that, I, I my, my first instinct was to just put him on. And then I didn't. I thought I'll wait till the end, and then he had to go. But uh, it was good to see him, though. That was cool. Yes. First, first thought, best thought. Um, anyway, thank you, um, Paris. And uh, let's set up a time to talk so that we can talk about money, about your specific films. And um, yeah, we got to do that. We got to do that. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time and coming in and telling all these fantastic stories and being an inspiration. You know, the whole point of this podcast that I do is to inspire filmmakers to get their features made and start, you know, looking at how they can make money. Because if you can make money with your films, you can make another one. That's how exactly. I if you, exactly. If, you, if you're still spending out of your savings, you're going to be stuck. If you start to raise money, start to make money from your films, you can make another film. And everybody, whoever comes here is exactly the kind of person we want to be making movies. <laughs> so thank you so much, Paris. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks everybody for coming in and listening in. And we'll, we'll talk soon, Paris. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Have a great day.